0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point.
1: Are we going to see a rainbow in relations across the Pacific? U.S. Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen saw one when she landed in Beijing on July the 6th to start a four-day visit. This was her first trip as Treasury Chief to China. She's also the second highest official of the Biden administration that came to China after Secretary of State Antony Blinken did last month. While in Beijing, Chinese Premier Li Chiang, Vice Premier He Lifeng, as well as senior finance officials met with Yellen and exchanged views on bilateral economic and trade ties, national security, debt, climate change, and beyond. China called on both sides to strengthen communication and seek consensus on important bilateral economic issues. Yellen reassured that the U.S. does not seek to decouple from China and described the conversations as direct, substantive, and productive, quote-unquote. How to evaluate Yellen's visit? How will her visit affect China-U.S. relations? Are we going to witness the world's most important bilateral relationship get a surer footing, to borrow Yellen's own words? Welcome to a special edition of The and opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. I'm pleased to be joined from Shanghai by Professor Huang Jing, Director of the Institute of the U.S. and Pacific Studies at Shanghai International Studies University. From Huizhou, China, southern Guangdong province, by Ms. Liang Yen, a Kramer Chair Professor of Economics at uh, Willemette University. From Moscow, Russia, by Anton Fidashin, Associate Professor of History at the American University. And from Washington, D.C., the U.S. by Ivan Eland, Senior Fellow and Director of the Center on Peace and Liberty at the Independent Institute. Warmest Welcome to all of you. Professor Huang, let me go to you first. Now, Secretary Yellen's visit comes on the heels of U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. As I said, in fact, she had expressed her willingness to visit China several times already this year. Why the strong urge to visit China by her?
2: I think the urgent need from U.S. side to manage uh, the financial stability uh, a bit more. I think because of the financial policy and uh, the, the fiscal policy of the United States, there is an increasing risk for a financial storm or financial crisis happening. And uh, without China's cooperation and understanding, United States it will be very really difficult for the United States to manage this risk. I think the major purpose for her coming to Beijing is to seek communication and cooperation with China, so that the two major powers can jointly manage the financial stability at the global level because that serves the interests of both countries.
1: Professor Liang, what is your take on the kind Whoa. of domestic socioeconomic especially situation behind uh, Secretary Yellen's visit? As uh, Professor Huang pointed out, the U.S. is trying to avoid recession while containing inflation. What about the Chinese side? How strong is the urge or is the interest driving China to arrange for this visit? So I think
3: you're right. Uh, both countries face their own respective economic challenges. For the United States, they still need to deal with the stubborn inflation and the potential recession or a very slow growth rate projected at about one percent this year. And for China, China always seek you know win-win cooperation, and China understands that you know the shared prosperity is you know what all countries strive to achieve. And I think for China, on the one hand, you know we have the domestic economic recovery going on, but definitely that recovery can be even ro- more robust. And on the other hand, I think it's important that China wants to also have that healthy relationship with the United States which, after all, is still the biggest economy in the world, and also to foster a friendly uh, sort of uh, environment, right, international environment. Not to mention, I think two countries both have a lot of role to play when it comes to global emerging you know, pressing issues like the low-income countries' debt problems and also climate finance. So I think definitely China has the willingness and the capacity to have constructive cut dialogues with the United States.
1: Professor Fidashian, it does look like the United States has been the more eager side to meet. For instance, we have seen Anthony Blinken's visit earlier this year. Uh, Although it was disrupted, eventually he was able to come. And then we had the Defense Secretary, the U.S. Defense Secretary's attempt to hold talks with the Chinese side in Singapore. Now finally, Secretary Yellen made it, and it's expected that that Biden's special envoy for climate change, John Kerry, may also come to China for another visit. Is there an effort by the White House to appear working with China actively?
0: Yes, there certainly seems to be. Um, and I think the length of uh, Secretary Yellen's stay in China gives us a very good idea of where the United States would like to put the emphasis and where the Chinese are ready to receive it, which is on the pragmatic trade and economic development um, and sustainability of the relationship. Unfortunately, in Washington today, one hand of the administration doesn't. Quite uh, seem to be in sync with what other hands are doing because while we do hear from both sides reasonably rational uh, sort of talk about the importance of trade relations uh, and global economic ties, um, at the same time, issues such as the Taiwan uh, issue and general security issues in the Indo Pacific seem to be working directly against the stability and mutual interests in the relationship and unfortunately most of this sort of brinkmanship right now is coming out of uh, Washington DC we've got a NATO summit coming up in Vilnius literally in a day and um, Lithuania which is the host country just published a 60 page report about its role in the Indo-Pacific region which no one in their right mind who was aware of geography uh, can take seriously, but there seem to be plans in NATO, for example, to expand its influence into the Indo-Pacific region. The Chinese understand that this could be directed only against them in the form of a con- of containment. So although Yellen's uh, trip is a welcome attempt by the United States to defuse the situation, there are other forces in Washington that seem to be working against it. Um, let's see if the pragmatic side of the relationship will win out and manage to stabilize the ship.
1: Mr. Eland, now, Secretary Yellen expressed her expectations on Twitter before coming to China. She says she looked forward to deepening communications with China, protecting U.S. national security and seeking healthy economic competition that benefits American workers and uh, firms. Overall, do you think she achieved her goals? How would you rate her trip?
4: Well I think uh, you know she says it's a success but of course uh, there wasn't any dramatic uh, outcome of it so I don't know if you can call it a success but I think you know China and the US's relationship ha- have been fairly tense for a long time and I think this these people uh, the cabinet members that you mentioned Blinken Austin Yellen and Perhaps John Kerry, it seems as he's going there, too. So I think it's always good to talk, even if you have an adversary. But I don't think that uh, I think the Biden administration is nervous about China in the security realm. But of course, the two countries are very dependent on each other economically. And so I think there is a mutual interest in economics. Uh, Economics is not a zero sum game. People do finance, investment, trade because both sides benefit. Security relations, on the other hand, tend to be zero sum or almost zero sum. And so that's where the rub is. That's why the inconsistency in the policy, I think,
1: well, on the same day uh, let me try to go back to professor liang here because this is about uh, the chinese side on the same day that secretary yellen arrived in china chinese president xi jinping inspected the headquarters of the people's liberation army eastern theater command where he affirmed the contributions the command has made in safeguarding china's territorial sovereignty maritime rights and interests as well as national unity Is that a coincidence? Does that have any relevance to Yellen's visit?
3: Well, I think that's a very great point. I think China has been always very clear about its, you know, um, sort of goal and aim to develop its military capacity is for self-defense. Um, you know, in the West, people accuse China for, you know, spending $200 billion on, you know, national defense. But let's put this in perspective. The United States is spending, you know, over $800 billion. The U.S. has over 800 military bases abroad and 300, over 300 of them are surrounding China. So I think it's hypocritical to say, you know, China is posing, you know, the so-called security threat. And I think when it comes to economic issues, Yellen definitely represents the pragmatic and the voice of reason. And I think that it's very good. Uh, but at the same time, I think she also still alleges right some of the sort of national security protection and so on and so forth, where I think the China side has also challenged right that we need to stop politicizing and also pan security of, you know, the economic issues, because I think the previous panelists put it very well, economics is not about, uh, you know, zero sum game. Um, so two countries would have to cooperate on a lot of the economic factors and matters um, in order to, you know, engineer a post-pandemic recovery. So I think it's definitely important to start with the fertile ground on economic cooperation and build up trust. And that would help to extend to other matters, including, you know, security issues.
1: Mm. Professor Huang, some experts predicted before Yellen's visit that uh, one of her major objective was to persuade China to um, be very careful or be very slow in reducing the uh, U.S. Treasury bonds and instead increase them at the appropriate time to help the U.S. address inflation concerns. We understand China is right now the second largest foreign holder of U.S. Treasury bonds. Do you think that was one of the important topics that the two sides discussed? How much do we know?
2: We don't know that much because neither side has uh, released any kind of information uh, in that regard. But uh, from the open uh, information can see China did purchase over $20 billion just found recently. I think maybe that's a friendly response. But after all, if the United States and China maintain a good relationship, it is in both countries' interest to keep the economic stability in both China and United States, because China is the largest trading power on earth. United States has been one of the largest market for China and vice versa. So therefore, the inflation in the United States, especially the weakening or the losing of credibility of U.S. dollars, does not serve China's interest after U.S. dollars is a global currency. But given the situation right now, that is United States, just like previous speakers pointed out, the United States try everything to so-called contain China, to slow down China's development to issue this kind of unfair, in might be unfair competition, to sanctions against Chinese companies almost every day. In this regard, it is really difficult for China to work with the United States in a way that Washington wants, because you cannot beat me on one time, and on the other hand, you want me to shake hands hand and work with you. Hmm. This is really, this is another way that uh, we should work with each other. So in that regard, China, of course, has every right and the capability to retaliate if it serves China's interest.
1: Another point of uh, concern for China from China's perspective is, of course, the tariffs that have been slapped onto China since uh, former U.S. President Donald Trump started the tariff war. Professor Huang, once again, as you may be the better informed one here, did this topic surface during the conversation clearly? The United States tariffs have not worked. According to U.S. numbers, 2022 or last year saw record highs in bilateral trade and record number for U.S. trade deficit against China, a historic high of $380 U.S. billion, up by 8% year on year. So did you think the two sides talked about at least China raised this issue?
2: I think that given the job uh, distribution in Washington DC, this is not Yellen's job. It's more like, uh, you know, Madame Dai's job, who also wants to come to Beijing. This is, of course, a very important issue. And uh, that's why we heard the Hill say that there are some differences between Yellen and uh, Mrs. Dai because, or Madame Dai because they have different uh, priorities in the job. I think, of course, China side has every right to raise this issue which is important in the bilateral relationship which is also important if the united states won't seek china's cooperation in solving all those issues she brought with her to beijing but of course but again that's not her portfolio i I think yellen Mm -hmm. may say yes i will convey your concern back home but this is not my portfolio i cannot manage it i think that's also a smart way to, to talk with china that is to send yellen come first where they have a stronger common ground between China and United States and maybe leave the bones uh, later.
4: All
1: right. Well, um, Secretary Yellen did brief the press on the areas she could talk about and where she did talk about with her Chinese counterpart and senior Chinese leaders. Um, She said the first thing she could tell everybody in detail was that the U.S. seeks healthy economic competition and the relationship should be mutually beneficial. There is a distinction, she said, between decoupling and diversifying critical supply chains or taking targeted national security actions. She said decoupling would be disastrous. Professor Fedashian, what's new about this? I mean, she already has been saying this since earlier this year and other U.S. officials have also said this. Is there anything new in her message?
0: Not in what you just quoted, no. Uh, Given that there is a chip war going on between China and the United States, given the extent of the bans on uh, advanced chip sales and then the Chinese retaliation with the ban on uh, two metals, gallium germanium, and the threat to extend that ban on other rare earths, supplies to the Western chip markets, I don't see that there is any fundamental change here. De-risking versus decoupling is a very inventive way of um, essentially justifying economic uh, protectionism. Now, for the grim realists among us, this should come as no surprise because um, internationalism, when mentioned by American politicians or economic uh, leaders, has always really meant American-led internationalism. In other words, the United States as a superpower or a great power has always put its interests first. It would be surprising if it uh, didn't do so. That's what all great powers uh, do. And so for all of the criticism that Donald Trump, for example, got when uh, he um, sort of pursued the policy of economic nationalism there really isn't that much of a difference between what the trump administration pursued including towards china by the way and what the biden administration is you, uh, pursuing
1: professor Fidashin, do you think there is anything new that came out of uh, uh, secretary yellen's rhetoric this time
0: no i don't think there's anything new there is a general attempt to scale down the geopolitical and the geoeconomic standoff, but fundamentally nothing has changed. The CHIPS uh, uh, Act in the United States is a protectionist act. And so this is what the United States is trying to do to pull itself, The Biden administration, rather, is trying to do to pull the United States out of the recession, the economic uh, slowdown. And I don't see any reason for it to change. As a matter of fact, remember that we are just over a year from the American election. And unfortunately, when elections take place in the United States foreign policy, international trade issues that are always complex by definition get unfortunately oversimplified and exaggerated and become hostages of uh, politicking in Washington. So uh, I don't see anything fundamental uh, changing here. I think that the, the anti-Chinese rhetoric, especially by the Republicans, as a way to criticize the Biden administration for being soft on China, this will only increase in the next 15 months or so. Okay.
1: Mr. Elon, your thoughts on any potential new messages coming out of uh, Secretary Yellen?
4: Well, I was happy that uh, Secretary Yellen said that uh, the Biden administration is not out to have great power conflict, and the world is big enough for both China and the US to thrive. I'm happy. I agree with that sentiment. The problem is, is the United States going to allow China to rise both economically and militarily? Of course, China has already risen economically and is rising militarily, and they're going to have to figure out somewhere there's a huge Pacific Ocean between the two countries. So one would hope we would follow what the British and the United States did in the 1800s when the British allowed the US to rise because there was a big Atlantic Ocean between the two countries. So uh, I'm hoping the reality will match the rhetoric, uh, but it, it was something to see that the rhetoric at least put out there.
1: Well, Secretary Yellen also said, and nothing new here, the United States will continue to take targeted actions that are necessary to protect our national security interests and those of our allies. Importantly, these actions are motivated by straightforward national security considerations. They are not used by us to gain economic advantage. Again, nothing new. She said this in April, for instance, in her uh, more comprehensive speech on trade and uh, economic relations with China. But Professor Huang, does that sound acceptable to China, given the kind of actions the U.S. has taken to undernote what they really mean by taking targeted national security actions? I, I
2: think from, from a theoretical point of view, some of U.S. officials' argument that United States has to take care of its security and then meanwhile want to still doing business with China doesn't make any sense because we know the game about security is a zero-sum game, but the trade is a positive-sum game. The two are totally different. You cannot say that I want to play zero-sum game with you on one hand, but meanwhile play positive-sum game with you on the other hand. This is self-contradictory. I think this is where the point is. If you want to play zero-sum game, of course you force China to do the same thing as you do. But you cannot ask china so i'm the one who has the right and the power to play 0 some game with you but you have to play positive some game with me that's not fair so if you want to play zero some game and china is forced to do that especially in china's corner and china will have to do that but do the same but if you play positive some game like doing trade like yelen said the united states does not want to decouple with china because that would be disastrous then Let's play positive some game. You cannot say like, you know, I can hit you, but you cannot hit me. When I want to shake hand with you, you should extend your hand and shake my hand. But when I hit you with my fist, you should still shake my hand. That's... I think that's not I think so that's why yeah. we need to point out well, you will have to be consistent in your policy. What well, Professor Huang. do is really, yeah. really doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, Professor Huang, however, some people would argue that there are businesses that may have to do or may be a concern for national security and this has to be acknowledged there are such businesses for every country and honestly, China also have its national security concerns when it comes to trading with other countries. Um, so Exactly, how can this kind of zero-sum component of a positive-sum game be properly managed? Is that the right way that the U.S. is I doing think, now?
2: To start with, I think both sides have to have some negotiations or talks to understand which part regarding security is that both sides has to play a kind of game that the United States plays. So the problem right now is that United States is doing this unilaterally. That's a problem. It's not mutually. It's not just with China; with all the other parts of the world, United States can do whatever it wants uh, to have a long arms control management to sanction against anyone unilaterally. While the other countries, when they do that, oh, you take a hostile position against me. Says so only I can do it; you cannot. Or I do it is right; you do it is wrong. This is where the problem is.
1: Um, Professor Liang, from 2018 to June this year, the U.S. has blacklisted over 600 high-tech Chinese entities, including companies, institutions, and individuals, and the U.S. is considering a ban to curb U.S. investment in China in Chinese chips, AI, and quantum computing, and the administration is considering further curbs on sales of uh, AI chips to China after it already pressured its allies to deny China chip manufacturing equipment. So is the U.S. likely to change course on policies after this meeting?
3: I think that is a very good question. I think, you know, the talking is a talking, but what comes after the talking is the real actions. Um, so I think for one, when it comes to tariff issues, if the United States is really clear on the no decoupling aspect, then I don't think they should continue to impose tariffs on over $300 billion worth of Chinese exports. So I think if there's any actions to show, you know, the U.S. is not engaged in decoupling and do not want it to gain economic advantages over China, then they should work on the tariffs. But unfortunately, I agree that with the political cycle, it's unlikely that the US is gonna take any positive actions on that front. Now, when it comes to the so-called de-risking, Jenny Yellen has talked about this should be narrowly focused and it needs to be transparent. But I agree with uh, Professor Huang, I think that is precisely what it's lacking. There's no clear you know, mutual and bilateral kind of negotiations on what it concerns national security. And there's no clear playbook um, how these kinds of bans should be imposed. And what I'm worried is the U.S. Okay. can easily go from the so-called small-yard, high-fence approach to a broader decoupling. So you mentioned the 600 firms that are on the blacklist. And on top of that, they are going to ban also cloud services to some of the Chinese firms and also investment in China, as you just mentioned. So I think the tech area is very sensitive China really wants to develop its technology right and for all kinds of good reasons uh, to be more self reliant so I think that is really the tricky part where you wanted to have a tight decoupling that could easily spend over to many other areas so then you become you know as China won against the pen security of economic and trade issues
1: uh, Mr. Eland, um, I'm going to go straight to you here. Now, China announced on July the 3rd to restrict exports on gallium and germanium, which are uh, strategic supplies crucial to the chip-making uh, industry. Uh, data show that China accounts for some 80% of the world's supply of gallium and 60% of that of uh, germanium. So what do you make of China's uh, measures on this regard? Do you see... Uh, tit for tat here, what is the message that you are perceiving from China's side?
4: Well, I think it is retaliation for the semiconductor restrictions that, it, that the U.S. has uh, put on and is thinking about put it on, putting on. I've had some experience with this during the Cold War and I thought U.S. policy was an error back then because we have an open society and uh, the best thing to do is for the free flow of information Uh, overseas on technology now of course companies want to protect their secrets and that's fine but uh, when we get into the government sphere we need a very small yard and a very high wall meaning i would only restrict uh, actual weapons technology i think dual use technology like uh, semiconductors and that sort of thing i think we should just compete in the world market and you restrict uh by doing this and it's uh, contrary to your own prosperity. I think we just need to outrun the competition. and I think uh, that's the way it should work in a free world market. And so I I don't believe in controlling dual use technology, only hard military weaponry.
1: All right, we have to leave it there. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Lu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lu Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point.